and welcome to the Urbanist Agenda, the podcast that wants more trains, especially in Europe. I'm joined today with Flo from Real Time History. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, good to be here. And I also want more trains. <laughs> yeah, especially in Germany. Yeah. So I've brought Flo on here for a few reasons. I mean, for one reason, because you are German and you have experience, like direct experience with these things. But I wanted to talk in particular about this article that we came across in The Guardian that was talking about how European government shrinking railways in favor of road building report fines. And I'll link, of course, this and everything we talk about in the description. But there's just a couple of quotes I wanted to pull out of this just to get the conversation started. So this is a report that was recently put out by the Wuppertal Institute and T3 Transportation that was talking about how for every one euro governments in Europe spent building railways, they spent 1.6 building roads. So I've certainly experienced myself, and especially in Germany, where I've had problems with the train. You know, the trains are canceled, they are late, there are problems with Deutsche Bahn quite often. And I hear people very often saying, oh, you know, Deutsche Bahn are incompetent, they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, maybe that's an element of it. But I think one of the things that's not talked about often enough is just that there's a huge lack of investment. And there has been a huge lack of investment in trains for decades in Europe. And in particular, what this report found is that in the time between 1995 and 2018, the EU, Norway, Switzerland, and the UK spent 1.5 trillion to extend their roads, but just 930 billion on their rail networks. And so this is like very much a political choice to put more money into roads than rails. So that's what I wanted to talk about today anyway. And of course, Flo, you grew up in Germany, you have experience with this, you've seen it change over time. What's been your experience that you've seen with the changes in the trains in Germany? Yeah, investment backlog kind of summarizes my experience growing up as well. Like I'm from East Germany, I'm born and raised in East Berlin, or former East Berlin. Yeah. And so like the GDR had a very dense railway network and like they, for ideological and political reasons, but also practical reasons, were heavily interested in using rail transport to get people around. There's like other reasons, like for them, it was, I think, easier to build heavy industry rail wagons to get these from partner states. And long story short, there was also a demographic cliff after like the uncertainty of the, what we call the vendor, like the reunion and so forth. Yeah. And then, of course, politically, United Germany was ruled by the CDU and they were never interested in rail travel anyway. I think all across the EU, the German traffic ministry is quite famous for like arguing against low emission regulation goals for cars and SUVs for the German car industry. Right. And if you, you know, know that, then you can imagine what they think about rail travel. So, you know, the rail network in East Germany was like bit by bit dismantled. The Deutsche Bahn then was also supposed to go to have a, how you say that, IPO, like go to... A like, privatized model, yeah. Privatized model, which they stopped. But still, like all that getting lean kind of stuff right. was there. I went to several Airbnbs here in the region, which are former train stations. Like I can't think of any regional train station around here. Like the old buildings were all sold off and are owned by private people now, Like, which sometimes still operate them with like services for train stations that you would expect. But usually now it's just like a ticket machine, a fence, and it's all like automated. Right. And, you know, the tracks have been like torn out and so forth. And like also in Berlin, we, you know, used to have like 
way back then. I mean, Berlin is a whole another thing because it was West Berlin and East Berlin. West Berlin, they demolished the tram tracks in the 70s. They built city highways. The S-Bahn was operated by the East, so they also neglected that because they didn't want to give like Western currency from the ticket sales to the Eastern regime. And, you know, all that kind of accumulated over the last 20, 30 years. And now with like, I would say like the economic boom in the Berlin area and so forth, a lot of these decisions are like irreversible. Yeah, so that's actually exactly what this report found as well. They said that European governments had shut down more than 2,500 train stations since the mid-90s, and they also closed about 13,000 kilometers of regional passenger railway lines. Like, it's very common that people think about Europe as this continent with this dense rail network, and it does have a dense rail network, but it used to be significantly, significantly more dense with more stations and more service. Yeah, absolutely. And I can somewhat understand putting myself in the shoes of a local politician here in the 90s when, like, basically, you know, half the country that hadn't fled in the 80s <laughs> was, like, emigrating towards Western Germany. Right. And so forth. Though then what you just said also, of course, applies to West Germany. Like, they had this influx of people, former GDR, but also regular migration. They wanted all these workers and so forth. And they also didn't expand the railway network. Right. But in the East... I can kind of see that say, okay, well, this is expensive to maintain, yada, yada. But then, you know, this economic boom started to happen here in the area very slowly in the 2000s. And like, you know, startups in Berlin and so forth. And we have like this, what in Germany you call the Bacon Belt, which is mm -hmm. like the suburbs around Berlin, which are super wealthy. And like, I'm originally from Berlin, as I said, and I now live in a small town on the rail line to Leipzig, like 50 kilometers south of Berlin. And like the commuting into Berlin is insane. It's like classic, like London syndrome, Paris syndrome, right? Because it got way too expensive to live in Berlin. Right. And so forth. So now the regional governments here are scrambling, for example, like to get these investments again and to kind of find a way to expand the railway networks, but they just can't anymore. Like there's like one notable example. They reactivated a line that goes from like north of Berlin into the city. And that's like one of these like, practical project that wasn't very expensive, you know, very efficiently done in a few years kind of thing. But there is like others where the tracks are torn off, yeah. where the ground the tracks were on was sold off. And now, of course, with, you know, probably since the 90s, the ground prices quadrupled in the area or even more. Like, of course, now you need to spend significantly more money to, you know, even theoretically buy ground to build a new line. But Practically, it's probably going to be a tunnel solution or something like that, which right. then, you know, it's like astronomical. And the increase, like from my commuting experience, I live on a regional express line. And when I moved here in 2021, we had like only at peak hours, half an hour. Now we have half an hour frequency all day round, which is great. And it's like right. 25 minutes. And then I'm basically in the city center, which is you know, fantastic. But A, you know, it's constantly late and there's disruptions because... A very classic German decision from like the Helmut Kohl era and even before that is like the express trains in Germany share the same tracks with the regional trains. Right. And with the cargo trains. Yeah. It's not like in France or in Japan where there's a separate network for them, which I understand takes more space and is more expensive. But now there's like huge congestions. The regional train frequently needs to wait to be overtaken because the express trains take priority. Yeah. And it's like a whole thing. And basically, like, as I said, I'm on the Berlin-Leipzig railway line. And 
there's also the like what we in Berlin call the Stadtbahn, which is like from Spandau to Ostkreuz, basically the east-west corridor. Yeah. They increased the capacity for some of the regional trains coming into the city to like even running every 20 minutes. But they also said this is the last thing that we can do. Like with regional trains, if you have a train going every three to five minutes, plus intercity trains, plus all that kind of stuff, there is like a physical limit how much you can do even with new technology and so forth. So, sure. I mean, now we can't say like, okay, we do it every 15 minutes because like there is no physical space anymore. And as you can imagine, in city center, there's also no solution really to build any new tracks on that line. Well, you spoke to it that it was expensive to maintain these things and Deutsche Bahn was looking like it might be privatized and they needed to get some short-term cash in. And that's why they sold off a lot of this land of these unused tracks. But at the same time, like, you know, they may say, well, it would be expensive to have kept this, but they were spending billions of euros on roads at the time. Yeah. And I think that's the trick, right? Because yeah, this absolutely. report, for example, says that they have a road to rail ratio for all the different yeah. countries in Europe. And Germany at the time was spending over twice, 2.11, as much money on roads as they were on rail. So again, like, there are all these problems with Deutsche Bahn and this congestion and the fact that the ICE trains, the ICE trains share the same tracks and all these things. But it was a political decision, right? Like yeah, that was absolutely. very much like we are going to spend money on roads. And I think this is one of these things that frustrates me so much when people say like, you know, the car is faster than taking the train. And that may be true. But I mean, that's because trillions of euros were spent on making the car faster. And in Berlin, and I'm sure that's the case in most metropolitan areas across Germany and in Europe, I can tell you, we are basically parallel to the rail tracks here. We also have a four-lane, it's not an autobahn, but it's a four-lane like country road that basically right. starts near my town here and goes all the way to Berlin. It's a B101. And, you know, you can go 120 on it and everything. And, you know, that used to be like a slow road that goes through village to village. And now it goes around, circumvents all these villages. So until the very sign that says here's the border of Berlin I'm faster than the train right but I lose all that from the moment I enter Berlin territory and then if I need to go to the office if my office were on that border it would be quicker and more convenient to take the car right but the moment I need to take the car into the city it's absolute mayhem like there is a few highways I can sneak around and everywhere, but they are also at capacity. And guess what? They also can't be expanded. Well, this is the trick, right? I mean, like people might say the car is faster, but again, the car is faster because of that four lane yeah. motorway that you have there. If that four lane motorway weren't built and instead yeah. that money that built that went into the rails, then guarantee the train would be faster every yeah, single absolutely. time, right? No, and like ultimately the train is faster, like to get mm -hmm. me into my office where I actually need to be, which is in the city center and not in the suburbs the train takes half as long as a car right. because the traffic in the city is a nightmare because, you know, everybody has a car. Everybody was taught culturally in Germany to commute by car and so forth. And that's not to say like, that's like one of the greatest things from the mentions from the pandemic, which we also kept now because of the inflation. Everything is the so-called Deutschland ticket. Right. So I pay now 35 euros because, you know, we get subsidized through our company. And you take the regional trains. I take the regional train and it's 35 euros a month. And I can take all public transport and regional trains in the entire country. Which is phenomenal. Yeah, which is phenomenal. And previously, it used to be like I would have just to be able to commute from my area into Berlin. And just like on that corridor, I would have paid, I think, like 150 euros or something like that. Right. Something insane like that. 
So that was one of the best political decisions they made recently is like figuring that ticket system out. And now there's like no competition with the gas prices and also like the parking prices in Berlin and everything. It's like it's substantially more comfortable and cheaper because there was a political will to figure this out. Yeah. And that is the trick. It's the political will, right? Yeah. And so one of the other articles that I found here that we were talking about, and again, I'll put this in the show notes for anybody reading, is this Railtech article that says the Deutsche Bahn and German government launch infrastructure program on unprecedented scale. So they are planning a huge amount of funding being put into rail infrastructure, additional funds up to 45 billion euros, it says here. And that's going to make some massive differences. They're going to reopen some rail lines. They're going to have some new corridors. But also, they are going to finally upgrade to European train control systems so that they can run more trains on the infrastructure that they already have. But as we were saying when we were discussing this, you said, well, yeah, that's a big investment. Although still, it's you know only kind of bringing it up closer to the road investment, to be honest. Yeah. But it's like so long overdue. Like a lot of this stuff is stuff that should have been done 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And as I said, I mean, it's not that the Deutsche Bahn didn't invest anything, just you know, much less in comparison to some other countries. And like that investment is absolutely welcome because there is like 10 pole projects from Deutsche Bahn. I mean, you know, we can laugh about certain like failures, like the Stuttgart main station project, which is like a huge clusterfuck. Can I curse on this podcast? I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, you can curse on this podcast. <laughs> so that was like a huge Stuttgart 21. If you ever want to do like German infrastructure failure episode <laughs> on your YouTube channel, look that up. Anyway, but there is like some real nice 10 pole things. Like for example, the train from Berlin to Munich now takes four and a half hours. And it's so fast, so reliable, goes so frequently. I think that there is barely any flights from the major airlines from Berlin to Munich left. Right. Like Air Berlin, when it used to still operate, and they certainly canceled the connection from Berlin to Nuremberg, for example, where the train also stops, which is just like three and a half hours now. And of that kind of project, we would have needed more. And you know, there's also the 90 minute or what it takes to go from Berlin to Hamburg like these metropolitan connections, that shows what would have been possible. And now I think the biggest problem for this investment money is, and you can see that with a lot of these kind of numbers thrown around, right? So this is like in a budget pot and you need to have like companies who need to have workers, who need to have like plans to spend that money, to apply for that money and to get that money. But Germany has a severe demographic problem. This decade is going to be an absolute nightmare because the baby boomer generation is retiring until 2030. Right. Um, every company in here, including Deutsche Bahn, is like scrambling to find people, like scrambling to find conductors, to find people to build the train, to operate the technology. Automation is absolutely necessary to, you know, build in these efficiencies. Yeah. And, you know, from that perspective, I can also understand that we don't have the classic person waving at every regional train station and so forth. <laughs> we wouldn't find the people anymore. Right. But there's going to be a serious problem for Deutsche Bahn and for, you know, the regional subsidiaries to turn around that kind of money and actually catch up. Yeah. And that goes also for increasing the frequency of trains. Like, where are they going to find the people driving the trains? There is a strike at the moment with the train driver union. The first week of January here where everybody was back to work was snow chaos, winter approaching, 
the train drivers unions on strike and the farmers were blocking the autobahn. <laughs> so nobody's getting anywhere. I didn't even try to get into the city. Yeah. We're seeing the same problem in the Netherlands too, where there's a chronic shortage of train drivers, especially yeah. after COVID, where a lot of public transit was cut back and the train drivers went on and got other jobs. And I know that when I've talked about this online before, some people are just like, oh, they're just not paying enough. But it's really not quite that simple. Like there are and are going to be too many trains that need to be driven. Yep. And I think it is kind of crazy that train lines, oh, well, especially metro lines like here in Amsterdam where they built the M52 and opened it in 2018. It's a bit crazy to me that these aren't automated. Yeah, I mean, I understand that the unions would violently oppose that, but it's a simple mathematical thing, like where are the people going to go? And it's not just about the money, it's also like, like I talked to someone who became a tram driver during the pandemic, like who actually became a tram driver during the pandemic because mm -hmm. he had a job that was like impossible to keep up. And he now like requested to be transferred to like a desk job because he's a father of a young kid and everything. And the working conditions are like abysmal. Like, A, he lived in West Berlin. Trams only drive in East Berlin because there are no trams left in West Berlin. Yes, like, because the Americans tore yeah. them all out. <laughs> exactly, right? So there's like a few tram lines which like creep their way into West Berlin now. Yeah. But like he had to actually commute to get to the tram depot. And then like there are some trams, the so-called metro lines in Berlin, which go 24-7, where you have the early shift that starts like at 4 a.m. because like Germany is still also a country obsessed with starting work <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, and, and he said like, and the shifts, and because there's already a shortage, like you join in a crisis situation. So the young people who join, who don't have veterancy, who don't know how the system works, they get all the shitty shifts. Yeah. They get like moved around constantly. And like, you know, shift work, we have the scientific data now for that as long-term health effects. Yeah, shift work, sleep disorder. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So like, I love trains. And like, you know, as a kid, of course, I dreamed about becoming a train driver, but you could pay me 10,000 euros. I wouldn't do it because I have a young daughter at home. And like, well, I mean, and the thing is, you talk about how some of the unions may be upset about this idea, but fundamentally, like, we don't even need anybody to lose any jobs. Like, you can just deal with this through attrition yeah. alone, you know. But it does really just blow my mind that people seriously talk about self-driving cars when we've still got people driving trains and trams. Yeah, and we have self-driving public transport in Europe, and it exists, right? It's been around for ages. Like, if you look at London, the Docklands yeah. Light Railway was built in the 1980s, and it's fully automated. Yeah, or in Copenhagen, right? Yeah, right. And it makes much more sense. And also just that these automated trains run more efficiently, too. Like, you can run them incredibly close together when they're yeah. automated, so that you can have, like, literally trains coming every minute, every minute and a half, instead of every five to ten minutes, yeah. which is obviously phenomenal if that gets to the level where you just show up whenever you want, and there's obvious going to be a vehicle there to pick you yeah. up. Yeah, you can mark my words. I think Germany is going to be going through a major economic downturn this decade because of the thermographic problem. It's not just applicable to the train things, but, you know, since also companies are incentivized to move more cargo onto the train and everything, like the working conditions for cargo train drivers, from what I heard, are even worse and they paid less and the congestion is not just for us yuppie commuters with our office jobs in the city. Congestion <laughs> also applies for people moving goods around. Of course. Yeah, and that's been a major problem in the United States with rail workers on strike. And then the government decided that rail workers are essential and aren't allowed to go on strike. Yeah. And yeah. that's been terrible in the U.S. It's not as bad in Europe, but it certainly is a problem. Yeah. 
And by the way, one of the key demands which hasn't been solved in the current rail driver union strikes is they want a reduce in work hours with full compensation. Right. Because they're already all overworked, right? And a lot of them are approaching or are in their 60s or in their 50s, right? Yeah. And that's the trick, right? So, I mean, this is the problem with rail in Europe, that we need more rail. And everybody, I think, acknowledges this. Pretty much everybody acknowledges this, whether it's to relieve traffic congestion or because of climate change goals or because of just moving people to more efficient modes of transportation, even financially. It has to happen. But there's a massive amount of catch-up that needs to be done when there's been decades and decades of underinvestment consistently in favor of roads, but just in general, the rail network is not what it needs to be. And I think this is what people really need to understand when there's all of these problems with the rails. It's not that these people are idiots. I mean, I'm sure there are some, but they know what they're doing. But they're dealing with outdated equipment, outdated signaling, lack of manpower and everything else. Yeah. And like, I think the practical reality is like, I also have a car here in the city. I don't like having one, but I absolutely need one in the small town where I live here Mm -hmm. and in the province. And there is a growing anger in Germany and society because like there's these decisions that need to be made, which have been postponed for decades now, which means they're much more painful now. Yeah. And people are already suffering economically with inflation and being overworked and so forth. And then you're telling them you shouldn't take your car to work. But for them, it's like the car in a lot of situations makes modern life possible for like a couple with a small kid, both working full time, a collapsing childcare. That's also another problem, collapsing childcare and education system here in Germany, collapsing healthcare system, like the doctor, like sometimes just needs to drive for 30 minutes, 40 minutes to find a doctor where you need to go and all that kind of stuff. And we shouldn't do that by car. That's absolutely true. Yeah. But they also need to, like the day only has so many hours and they're required to be at work and you need to like, be a caretaker of your kid and so forth. Yeah. And this is the trick, but this is, of course, a situation that we've built ourselves into through various political decisions. You can paint a clear way. You don't even need to dig into it. As a historian, you wouldn't need to dig into any secret files or anything. And this is all like (laughs) public records and it's pretty obvious. Yeah. (laughs) And I understand on a day-to-day basis, ideologically, I'm opposed to individual motor transportation. But on a practical level, I can stomp my ground and say, I don't want to do this, but like my kid still needs to go to daycare. Of course. And as we were talking about earlier before the podcast, you live in a small town that's certainly the size that you could bike all over the place, but you've got these narrow roads. And if you're on your bike, you need to share the sidewalk. Yeah, exactly. But there is no individual bike lanes here. Yeah. There is a nice, like, there is a nice regional recreational bike network here over 100 kilometers between villages and so forth, which I could take, except in the winter, because I'm sure it's not going to get cleared. But here it has been snowing for the past few weeks and the roads get cleared first. And then they think about the pedestrians. And then also if I were to get a cargo bike to transport my kid, I would need to share the walkway with the pedestrians. Yeah. Because it's like shared here. There is no separate things because the town was built during German industrialization and the roads here are maybe 10 meters wide or so between houses. Right. So you could have built, when the roads were redone with European Union subsidies, you could have built separate railways, but then I couldn't park my car in front of my house. (laughs) And we can't have that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
But I mean, yeah, this is really what this all boils down to, right? Yeah, we yeah. make choices. We make political choices that often come out of our funding that do things in certain ways. Like if I look at areas here in the Netherlands where they have those narrow streets like what you have, what they tend to do in some places anyway is they would just block that off to through traffic to cars. And then yeah. there's very little low car traffic. Yeah, absolutely there's lovely. lots of traffic calming. And then people do just cycle in the middle of the road because even kids can do it because yeah. there's no cars and the cars that are there are going less than 30 kilometers an hour. Yeah. But if they make that political decision that that is going to be a through street and lots of cars are going to go through it and they're going to have to go through it quickly, then you end up with this situation where because of those political and funding decisions, you have no option but to drive. And I think this is the trick. Obviously, I talk a lot on my channel about the situation in Canada and sometimes the United States because I am Canadian. And it's significantly worse there in that things were designed only for cars and there is literally no alternative. I mean, there were train lines in Canada too, but they were ripped out back in the 1940s and 50s. And there are no options for anybody anymore. And so exactly as you say, when people are saying, oh, well, we need to drive less for all of these various good reasons, people are like, okay, but I need to feed myself, right? And I can't walk to a grocery store because it's five kilometers away or 10 kilometers away. So what the hell am I going to do? Yeah, five kilometers away on a strode, right? Yes, on a strode, exactly. And it's true. Yeah, absolutely yeah. it is. Five kilometers away on a strode. And you're simply just not going to do that. Yeah. But again, these are political decisions. So I'm glad to see that there is this new push in bringing back to rail here of the 45 billion extra euros going towards this construction in Germany. But again, like one of the only reasons why it has to be so big is because we're playing catch up from decades and decades of underinvestment. Yeah. And I mean, you also shared this video about the Deutschland Takt. Oh, yes. That one is in German for anybody listening. Yeah. So the simple idea is what if our intercity traffic and like the trains would run like they run in your local town, right? There's like the train to Cologne goes at the top of the hour. The train yeah. to Munich goes at the you know quarter past or something. So this something. is what they call in English clock face scheduling. And it's done yeah. in Switzerland best. Yeah. It is also done in the Netherlands, but Switzerland is the country that does it better than any other. Yeah, and I did my master's in Zurich. And a friend I had in Switzerland, they were from Basel. So we usually spent the weekends there, for example. And the first time I heard about it, I was completely amazed, but it becomes like your second nature. You just know, you look at your clock and it says like, oh yeah, it's 12 o'clock now, 12.30, I need to be at the main station because the train to Basel goes at 12.30. And the next right. one is like at 45 and the other one is like at top of the hour again. Yeah. And it blew my mind back then. And it's so incredibly convenient. Like there's roughly a fixed schedule when my train goes every half an hour to the city. But sometimes it's 35, sometimes it's 35 minutes after the hour, sometimes it's 40, and sometimes it's 45, right? right? So I could always just be there at half past, but sometimes when it's like minus 10 outside and snowing, I would be on the station for 15 minutes. Yeah. And let's not talk about like delays and so forth, right? So yes. Deutsche Bahn is very good in making delays transparent via the app and their information flow has been much better and also requesting refunds for delays and all that kind of stuff. So they are good and like, for example, miles ahead of any airline in terms of like customer service if something happens to you. Right. But they also did that because it's 
cheaper and more efficient to make these things easier because there's such an influx because there's so many delays, right? I think at yeah. the moment their punctuality rate is like 70% or so. Well, it's shocking, actually. The Deutsche Bahn punctuality rate has dropped from something in the 80s, I believe it was, down to the high 60s in, in oh, the Jesus. span of like five or six years. Jesus. It's shocking. I'd yeah. have to look up the exact stats. But when you see the graph, it just plummets. Yeah. And this is everything coming to a head here, right? Like yeah. one of the things with rail infrastructure is it actually can go on a very long time without maintenance. The tracks get bumpy. You have to run slower. You have to run more space between trains. But it does work for a long time, but eventually it all just fails. And that's kind of what we're seeing now. Yeah, that's, I think, especially the case also with like a lot of these West German roads, like North North Rhine-Westphalia has like huge problems. And there's this nerve system of basically the France, Switzerland, Southwestern Germany triangle. Like there's this rail line running parallel to the Rhine which was like built in the 1850s or something like that. And that's like a huge congestion point for traffic, also from like cargo traffic from Scandinavia to Italy, for example, or from Mm -hmm. Rotterdam to the Mediterranean. And like even 10 years ago when I lived in Cologne, that was already a problem. There was already talks about how like this is going to be painful when this thing stops working and needs to be renovated. So I hope I'm still alive when the Deutschland Takt is running. And I think like a lot of things in Germany in the past decades, in the Merkel years, she once used this phrase during the Venezuelan crisis, which was like, when you drive through the fog, you just look how far you can see and concentrate on that. Right. And you don't think ahead too much was her political metaphor for that. Right. But that's acting very tactically and not strategically at all. Exactly. Right. So I applaud having some kind of political vision again and saying, okay, hey, maybe in 2045, that's like where we want to be right. because then you make political decisions in accordance and at some point you don't catch up with a lot of the debt right now but yeah like at the moment there is like a lot of other homework for Deutsche Bahn before and I mean also to be fair their CEO and everybody said like he said like this decade is going to be painful for everybody well this is the trick right I mean when you do all this maintenance that's overdue really overdue and it all has to be done at once The trains need to be shut down during that time, right? We're actually seeing that right now in the Netherlands, where there's some long overdue maintenance being done between Rotterdam and Schiphol, which is, I believe, one of the busiest, if not the busiest, rail routes in the entire country. And it's been just full of delays lately. And I see people complaining about it, but they don't realize the reason for these delays is because this is maintenance that has been deferred for so many decades that it has to be done and it's just going to be painful. Yeah, so it takes longer, then it's also more immediate, so then the companies demand even more money, right, and so forth. And more of it has to be done at once too, right? Because if this had been done slowly over the course of several decades, it wouldn't have been so painful, but now it all comes together and all has to be done all at once. Yeah. But the clock phase scheduling, I think, would be really great to see because obviously what you'd like to have everywhere is trains coming every five or ten minutes and that would be great. But you can't do that everywhere. And in smaller towns such as yours, inevitably, they're not going to be running every 10 minutes. So if they do have to run every half hour, for example, then running at consistent times just makes everything work better, like you said. Yeah, because then the town can schedule buses around it and everything. Well, that's the trick, right? In Switzerland, the connections, they're the things that really surprised me. Because I was actually talking to Sam from Wendover about this, because he was in Switzerland recently. And he pulled up this route that was a bus and four trains to get to his destination. And there's no other country in the world that I would recommend anybody do that, right? Like if you were going through Germany, it's like to get there, I need to take a bus and four trains. I'd be like, you got to find another way to get there because there's no way that's going to work. But in Switzerland with the clock face scheduling, 
And also their trains, you know, having been properly maintained over the decades and are on time, you can get into a station at, say, like 32 after, and you know that the next train is going to leave at 37 after one or two platforms away. Yeah, I'll give you one example of when I lived in Zurich. Like I lived like five minutes walk from the next station and had a direct connection from there to the airport in Zurich. And like also, the, I mean, let's not get into that because it was cheaper for me as a student to fly from Zurich to Berlin when I went home than to take the train. <laughs> That's painful. And also like That's the painful. train then would take like nine hours because it would go to Basel mm-hmm. along the Rhine to Frankfurt and then only to Berlin. Anyway, so <laughs> let's say my flight was at like 10. So the last check-in was at nine, right? And there was a train going at like 45, which took exactly 10 minutes to the airport. And I know where the check-in counter was, which took me like two minutes walk from the train to the counter. So like first time I sweated a bit, but afterwards I would like say, okay, I take the 45 train. I'm going to be there at 55. I'm going to check in at 57, draw my luggage, and then I'm going to the train Right in Germany. Like I would be at the airport at eight <laughs> with the train runs on time, just to be sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, <laughs> I made a video about Swiss trains. God, I love Swiss trains. But yeah. when things work correctly like that, Train travel is the best way to travel, and I will absolutely die on that hill. Like, there is no better way to travel than efficient trains. You can see that, I mean, Switzerland has this thing, we also have a similar thing in Germany, but they have this, which they call the Generalabonnement, which is the flat rate for all trains. And you could see on the train in Zurich, from Zurich to Basel, for example, and so forth, first class Generalabonnement is like 6,000 euros a year or so, and was full of suits business people all with their laptops in there yeah, because they just get a bit of work done there and that was the most reliable option for them. Like no one took the limousine or had a driver or whatever kind of stuff. Right. And, you know, probably the companies paid for it, get a nice tax bonus from it. And that's also how it's supposed to be. Yeah, I think it is how it's supposed to be. And I experienced exactly the same thing in Switzerland. And I think that's the trick. I know like when I talk to people, especially from the United States, where people were like, oh, you know, public transit's only for people who can't afford a car something like that. But, you know, it really doesn't have to be. The only reason that rich people will only take cars in certain countries is because the public transit is so bad that if you've got the money, of course, you're going to drive. Right. But again, all of that is a political decision. This is not some inherent thing. Like cars are not always going to be faster and more convenient, more comfortable. It's not the natural order of things. No, it's not the natural order of things. That's exactly it. I mean, and this is one of these things that I really do try to get through to people. And I get it. Like I grew up in car dependent suburbia. If you had told me when I was say like 19 years old that I would live without a car, I'd be like, what are you talking about? What am I going to be like poor and destitute or something? Like that's insane. Why would you do such a thing? But it really does come down to the priorities that we have, the funding priorities, the political priorities and everything else. So anyway, I know that we could talk about this all day, Yeah. yeah. but is there anything else you want to talk about? Do you think that the future is bright in the long run for German trains? I mean, as I said, like this decade is going to be, to quote the CEO of Deutsche Bahn again, painful in a lot of ways for Germany. But I think like if we have these kind of plans and like we still have this like in the 60s punctuality rate and it's not really pleasant. But I also have to say like, you know, nine out of 10 times at the moment when I take the train to the city, it works. It's convenient. And we still have the groundwork and the infrastructure. And I think like now they stopped tearing down more railway tracks and shutting down trains and so forth. Like I've seen some stations recently which had the Deutsche Bahn corporate design from the 90s. 
but they're also getting renovated at least now, <laughs> like in the lower Rhine region. I love how you can tell that when you go to a station, you're like, oh, there's the old logo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the white signs with black font and like a blue frame around it. Yeah, and I've now seen all those. the signs from Deutsche Bahn are like dark blue with white lettering, right? Yeah. Yeah. But work is getting done. There is a political vision for it. And I think one of the strengths from like the European Union perspective, train travel is like this interconnectedness. Right. Like that you can, for example, on Deutsche Bahn, you can book your ticket to go, which then also allows you to take your Thales connection and your passenger rights apply if any of the train is delayed and everything. It's like, for example, like one of the casualties from Brexit was I was able to book for a while in like 29, like before Brexit, you were able to book a train ticket from Berlin to London directly. And there was political ideas, I'm not sure if they still would be able to pull that off, of an ICE train, for example, from Frankfurt to London. Right. That would be fantastic. Yeah. But at least you had the beginnings of that, which is like buy everything in one ticket and get like from Berlin to Cologne, from Cologne to Brussels, and then go on the Eurostar. And the Eurostar people then also being helpful. If your train was delayed, they said, oh, yeah, just take the next one. It's no problem. Right. Like, you know, that's how it's supposed to be. That's not the case anymore in the case of Great Britain, but in terms of like connecting different countries and like taking the ICE to Amsterdam from Germany and so forth. I think that's like one of the strengths of, you know, inter-European connections and like these kind of corridors, I think, are also something that the European Union is like trying to strengthen. And there is like the emerging night train, like these new Austrian night jet wagons that they're going to introduce this decade. They look freaking fantastic. Oh, night trains are a whole other issue. Don't even get me started on that because night trains were huge and then they were all scrapped in the 90s except for Austria. Yeah, they were smart. So that's great. But they're also these 1990s train carriages, right? Like yeah. They're not the most comfortable beds. They're not the quietest. Yeah, but also again, like, you know, they're seeing the boom in that. Yeah. So, you know, they're making these investments again. This is also going yeah. to get much better. And I see a lot more. There's even new startups that are doing night trains. And I know there's one that's going to go from Amsterdam to Barcelona soon. And yeah. there's one that's open from Brussels to Berlin. And there's lots of options. Yeah. So I think the future of rail travel in Europe is bright if we can just live long enough to see it. Yeah, we just need to walk through the Valley of Darkness first. Yes, exactly right. All right. Well, I think that's probably a good place to stop this conversation, but it's been really good to talk to you. And it's been actually great to hear your experiences growing up in Germany and how you've seen it change. So thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, just remember, like one of the things I always remember about train travel when I was growing up, like in East Berlin in the 90s, you still were driving in like S-Bahn wagons from the 1930s and 1920s. <laughs> because the GDR kept them running <laughs> with proper maintenance. Well, the last time I was in Canada, I rode in a carriage. It was refurbished, but it was originally built by the Bud Car Company that aren't around anymore, and it was built in 1947. So, <laughs> Yes, but you see, that's the magic of proper maintenance. Yeah, right? Well, I mean, it is. I do wish they had new rolling stock, but yes, anyway. <laughs> so hopefully we can get Europe back on track as it is. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, pleasure to be here. That's all we have today for The Urbanist Agenda, but if you just can't wait to hear the next episode, I recommend you sign up to Nebula because every episode is uploaded there first. You can sign up at nebula.tv agenda, and doing so also supports this podcast. Nebula also gives you access to all of the other creators who are on there, which is now over 150 at this point. You'll find videos and podcasts and classes, but there are also Nebula Originals, which are high-budget productions by content creators you may already know on a whole wide range of educational subjects. 
If you sign up with our link, that's nebula.tv slash agenda, then you'll get a discount off a yearly membership. That's $20 off, bringing it down to $30 per year, which is honestly a hell of a deal for what you're getting. Thanks again for listening to The Urbanist Agenda, and maybe next time you'll be listening on Nebula, and then you won't even hear this part.